Thanks for joining us this morning, and thanks to those joining us online. Special shout out to uh, Ralph and Robin, and I know they've had to move to a different part of uh, our area to care for a parent, and I'm grateful that they can do that, but uh, we miss having them around, but we're thankful that they're able to still join us online. For the last eight weeks, we've been watching that video, and we've been watching these people jump, and they seem to have some confidence. It seems to be risky behavior, but they're still jumping. And uh, we look at that, and we realize that when we're jumping into something, when we're going to be all into something, we need to understand that we need to be able to know where to look before we leap. And if you were to do a little research on that, those people jumping, you'll see that they plan that all out. That isn't the first time they did it. They put a little X in places, and they practice and get ready and get ready. I'm sure there was a lot of jumps where they'd land on the top of that pole and fall off. They stop the video, then they do it again and again and again. But over practice, they learn where to look before they leap. And that's been the basis for our series for the last eight weeks, is that we need to get to the place where we're all in, but then there's a growth that we start to really understand where to look before we leap. And we've been primarily looking at Peter in his life and seeing that he had growth in that. And today, as we wrap things up and look at hope, we're going to see that in 1 Peter, we're not going to get into 2 Peter, but in 1 Peter, there's this section of Scripture that really reflects his heart. And it really shows how hope is what gave him to the resolve to continue to be all in. And as we think about this, uh, we realize that you can only have hope in the present, what's going on in life, and a lot of that does include suffering. We do live in a broken world, and things aren't easy. There's also our lives. Or we're not always nice. We're, we have sin. We have all these kinds of things. We can be selfish. So we, you can only have hope in the present if you understand your past and future. And we're going to see that that understanding the past and the future is connected our relationship with God, what sometimes we call that our salvation, uh, being born again, uh, asking Christ into our lives, those kinds of ideas. And Peter had really come to terms with this, and again, we see this in what he says in 1 Peter. And also, those of you who know the history of him, it is thought, it's not in Scripture, but it's thought that he gave his life for faith and actually was crucified. And because he didn't want to be crucified the way Jesus was, because he thought, didn't think he could do that for the honor of that, he asked to be crucified upside down. So here's a man that was all in, all the way to the end, and we see that uh, he had a hope in spite of all this suffering, all these difficulties. Well, a few weeks ago, I uh, went on a hiking trip. It wasn't anything massively big, but uh, Tim Williamson and I went, and uh, he figured out where we were going and all these kinds of things. And uh, so we began our hike, and he expected it to be this long and this difficult and all those kinds of things. But I found that my body did not like this hike. It was a little bit more than I expected, and it wasn't that it was off. It was like, I'm getting old. I'm like, what is going on? And so we hiked through the trip, and again, it was longer. It felt longer. It, it was longer, and uh, eventually, we ended up at our destination here, and uh, this is, oh, i got to get the name right of it now, but uh, this is, what is this? Oak Slips Falls, and this is a uh, 200 feet fall, so it's very large. It's supposed to be the largest one in the Andorondacks and all of this. And, and Tim is like a, a Siri. 
or like Google. Uh, he knows all these facts. And when you're traveling and you're up in the Adirondacks and your phone doesn't work, you just go, hey, Tim, how high is this? And he just starts spitting off information. And, and sometimes it's information you're really not that concerned about. But he does spit that off. He was here in the first service, so he heard this. But So we get there, and yes, it's beautiful. Uh, you can't see this, but there's actually you can actually see a rainbow in there. And, you know, we're just enjoying it. And then I'm like, oh, we got to go back. we got to go back. What is, what is going to inspire me to, like, go back and just, uh. So I started thinking about it, and I said, you know, well, yeah, I do love Cindy, and that will be good. But uh, honestly, you know, this is what made me go back. Uh, there's a place called um, uh, Slickers, and they have the best fish fry. The last time we were out there, we were there two nights, and I ate it both nights, you can tell. And, uh, you, you know, it was just delicious. So... The anticipation of the future inspired me to just keep going, even though my legs hurt and I wanted to stop, but I knew the faster we got out of there, the faster I would be eating one of those, and so it just inspired me. And the same is true in, again, a much larger way when it comes to our lives. It's the hope that you and I have in the present in today's days, what we're facing, and again, some of that suffering, some of us are suffering with, with momentary things, seasonal things of life, and some of us have just, there's a new chapter of life, and it's just the new reality, and we're going to have to deal with whatever it is forever. And so how do we navigate that? How can we still be all in? And it comes back again to your past and your future. And when it came to Slickers, I remembered the past, getting a good meal, and it inspired me to the future that I would get another one. So in such a great, more larger way, such a transformational way, that's the way it is when it comes to our faith. So Peter learned that he needed to have a vision of hope. He needed to have a vision of hope, and he needed to be watching it, viewing it, seeing it. It needed to be in the front of his mind. Now, when a lot of us think of hope, uh, we think of we hope something will happen. And when we look at Scripture, when we look at Jesus, when we look at the disciples, the ones who wrote the New Testament, the Older Testament, we see that their hope isn't this, like, wishful thinking, I hope, like, a little bit, I got nervous. I hope Slickers is actually open. You know, it might be closed. That'd be devastating, uh, I hope. But no, when it comes to our faith and it comes to walking with God, we can have a faith that's certain. So it's not a hopeful, it's actually certain that you and I can have a faith. And this is what keeps Peter going. So no matter what you and I are experiencing in life, if we said yes to Christ, we can have this vision of hope that carries us in and through uh, our lives. Uh, Peter begins to explain this in verse 3 this way. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In this great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. The inheritance is kept in heaven for you. First little thought we notice is this idea of great mercy. When someone is merciful to us, they withhold what we deserve. And God, through Christ, demonstrates this great mercy because none of us are perfect, none of us are righteous, none of us live selfless lives. We have this thing called sin, 
We've talked about this before. You don't have to like program your little kids to be naughty. That's just automatic. It wasn't like I gave a lesson. Okay, Sarah and Hannah, pull each other's hair. This is how you know. They just kind of knew to do that. And it's built into them. So God, through his son Christ, offers us great mercy. And so we get a vision of that and we hold on to that. There's also this idea of new birth. Uh, sometimes we talk about faith in Christ as being born again. John 3 talks about being born again. This idea of having a life change. It's like a new operating system for life when God connects to you and joins you in life. Uh, we sometimes say, a person might say, are you saved? And you go, saved from what? And they go, saved, like relationship. And, and it's that idea of new birth, being saved, a relationship with God. Uh, we also see this idea of living hope. This isn't just something we kind of squirrel away with. It's something that shows up in our everyday life. It's a living hope. It's a vibrant hope. That's the way reason Peter can say these things, and Peter can experience difficulties and hardships. It's because his hope is living, and again, it's not in something like, I hope this works out. I hope this is the case. It is a certainty for him. Uh, we also see this idea of resurrection. We talked about this Easter just a few uh, weeks ago, that everything rises and falls on Jesus' resurrection. If there's no resurrection, Jesus has some nice sayings, some nice words, but it's just over. It, it doesn't, it, there's no power there. We sang about that power. There's no transformation. So there has to be an event where Jesus physically, not just spiritually, but physically rose again. And that's why we celebrate that at Easter. That changes everything. Then there's also this idea of inheritance. This is a legal term. The idea that our vision is an inheritance, it's, it's something that we're going to see uh, can't be taken away from, it can't be finagled out of our grasp. Sometimes we love watching these mystery shows where somebody got in and talked to the rich grandparent and got them to sign something over, or the person's gone, died, and they're looking for the inheritance, and they're all this intrigue all around it. Well, as a Christ follower, once you've said yes to him, you and I have an inheritance that is a sure, guaranteed thing. There's also this idea in verse 5, through, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. This idea that it is shielded, it is protected, uh, it cannot be taken away. And then this idea of last time, that the idea that, uh, that someday we'll realize completely what our salvation really encompasses. Uh, we see the past, we see the current, but someday there's this future event where we will be with God in heaven. And then if you read in uh, Revelation, you'll start to read about a new heavens and a new earth where he sets everything right, restores everything, gets rid of sin. It's not present, and that is the hope that you and I can have. So Peter has that hope. It drives his life. It never leaves the front of his mind. That's what helps him get up in the morning and keep going under harsh, difficult terms. And for us today, as we look at our world and we look at the things we're dealing with worldwide, countrywide, statewide, countywide, all these kinds of things, and we look at the things that we're experiencing just personally, what we find out is that when we can have that hope, it can drive our life. It can, it can give us a hope that affects the presence, affects the way we live and the outcome. There's also this idea that goes along with it that it never perishes, that it is untouched by death. 
And uh, this is just, again, an amazing, amazing guarantee that nothing can touch it. Nothing can take it away. Um, there's also the idea that it, it doesn't spoil. It doesn't, it doesn't fade. It, doesn't, it, doesn't, it just doesn't get wrecked. Uh, some of us wish that that happened to our cars, that they would never rust, that they would never spoil. But when it comes to this inheritance, it never spoils. It never fades. It is untouched by evil. I was thinking about this uh, this week, and I just imagined what the world would be like if there was no evil. Just, just even a piece of it. Just imagine if you didn't have to concern yourself with someone taking something that belongs to you. You wouldn't have to lock your house. Some of you still don't do that, but you wouldn't have to lock your house, your cars. You wouldn't care if you left your credit card sitting around. You wouldn't care if someone discovered your social security number. You wouldn't be guarding your bank routing number when you're trying to set up payments. You wouldn't have to worry about any of that stuff. There'd be just this segment that you didn't have to worry about because it was untouched by evil. And this guarantee that we have, no matter what we do, how we act, what's done to us, it can't be touched by that. And again, it never fades. It's untouched by time. It doesn't matter how long. It is just untouched. And so when we have this kind of hope, when we realize we have this kind of guarantee, it can change or it does change everything. And it gives us just an insight of how to live and how to uh, navigate. And all of a sudden, we start realizing that uh, our name is on our inheritance. It's written in ink that can't be taken away. And it's there. And all of a sudden, we realize that uh, people can take our houses. They can take our stuff. Our health can fail. All kinds of things. But our future is guaranteed. Nothing can be taken from us us. And so that should change everything as we look at life and we look to the future, not just the here and now. C.S. Lewis uh, has a quote where he talks about sometimes you and I just settle, we're trying to settle for what's going on in our world and our life now, and he's saying you're too easily pleased when you think about the future. Our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling around about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And when we think about the future, when we think about hope, and we think of all those things, we're far too easily pleased. We forget about what is coming. And we need to, this may not be good English, but it kind of summed up what I was thinking, and uh, is this, basically, you ain't seen nothing yet. You ain't seen nothing yet. If you've said yes to Christ, if you have a relationship with God that's guaranteed that inheritance is locked in, you ain't seen nothing yet. So no matter what you are facing, no matter what you're experiencing, and I'm not taking away any of the trauma of that, any of the difficulty of that. You and I haven't seen anything yet. What's in store for us and for Peter and for the other disciples and for many thousands, millions of Christ followers before us, that hope has kept them going. They've had a vision for that. In verse 6, we see, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had a suffering grief in all kinds of trials. 
Peter's saying, what you're going through now, yes, hard, difficult, all of that. But what is coming is, is nothing compared to what you've had to go through. You get a glimpse of the future. You get a glimpse of what God has in store for the person who has said yes to him. And all of a sudden you find you have the resolve to be all in because you're thinking about the vision of the future. Martin Luther King, in his last speech, speaks of this idea of seeing something beyond and maybe not being ready to experience it. And this is what he says. He says, well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop and I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will, and he, is cons- and, and he has allowed me to go up to the mountain, and I've looked over, and I see the promised land. And I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. And when you think not just of social justice, racial justice, all of those things, and I don't want to get all bogged down in that, but that is real stuff. But when you think of all that, and you think of the heartache that Martin Luther King is saying, the future The vision for the promised land and for Christ followers, that's the next chapter of life. That's eternity. And when you and I are facing the difficulties of life, we can have the hope that our eternity is locked in and is guaranteed. Paul, writing to the church of Corinth, says, These are hard times. These hard times are small potatoes compared to the coming good times. The lavish celebration prepared for us. There's far more here than meets the eye. The things we see now are here today, gone tomorrow. But the things we can't see will last for eternity. Again, thinking about life and thinking about future, that carries us, that gives us the hope to be all in, to have a resolve. You can only have hope in the present if you understand your past and your future. So we've got the vision of hope, but then we also have the necessity of hope, the importance of hope. How does it, how does it in a sense, play out in our lives? How does it help us, help us understand uh, the, the suffering we experience? How can help be a fuel that changes us and gets us ready? Uh, Paul, again, Peter writes in verse 7, he says, These have come so that your proven genuineness of your faith or greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. That hope, and knowing that the things we go through reveal our faith to us. It's, it's a mirror to us. Some of us know that great theologian and uh, the evil stepmother from Snow White, Mirror, mirror on the wall, who's? Oh, see, you know it. And that mirror never said anything nice to her, did it? <laughs> but when we look at our trials, when we look at our suffering, when we look at our hope, it is a mirror. It is a mirror to our lives. When you and I have to put into action our 
claimed values, when you and I have to actually be loving to someone that wasn't loving to us, it's a mirror about how our faith has gripped our heart. It's easy to be loving to someone who's loving to us. It's so hard to be loving to someone who's not loving to us. It's so difficult. It's, it's so easy to say, I'm going to have integrity. I'm going to be honest. And then we get backed into a corner, and the only way out seems to be to fudge the numbers a little bit. Everybody does it. I'll fudge them a little bit. I'll be okay. That trial reveals our heart. It reveals how deep our faith is, where our genuineness is. Now, again, we've talked about this. You don't earn your way to God. You don't work for your salvation. It's a free gift. He gives it to us when we place our trust in him. But there is this idea that it should have some kind of impact in our lives, that it should show up in our lives, that it should do something with us. Uh, some of us are familiar with the story of Daniel and his friends, and you remember that uh, they would not take a knee to the king and, and worship him as a god, and they wouldn't do that. And the consequences were that uh, the king said, you're going to be thrown in the fiery furnace. And we see that they are thrown in the fiery furnace. Uh, the king is watching this all transpire, and he says, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. And what we see there is we see that in that fire experience, in that trial, God shows up. And actually, if you do a little theological study, uh, great minds will say that that actually is the pre-incarnation of Jesus, that Jesus is there part of the Trinity before he, quote-unquote, was born, always existing, and he was there. And it's also interesting to see that they were unbound and unharmed. And this proved how their faith was. And we could go back a little farther, and they realized that they might not be saved. They weren't expecting to be saved, but their hearts, their faith, as they put it in the mirror before the mirror of that trial, said, we've got to not take a knee. We've got to stand. And, and they do that. So when you think about the necessity of uh, having hope, it gets played out when we find ourselves in suffering hard times. That's where the uh, rubber meets the road. We read in Psalms, again, when life is crazy, God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear Though the earth give away and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and the foam and the mountains quake for their surging. In other words, when you and I are in the middle of it and the bottom of our life is falling out, God shows up. The bottom of the life has to show up, fall down or fall out for us to experience that, for us to actually say, yes, he's my help. Yes, he's my refuge. It's easy to read that verse when we've not had that experience. So all these trials, all these difficulties speak into our hope and help us with our hope and help us to understand it. God is keeping heaven for us. We see that in verse 4. And God is keeping us for heaven. And this is all a part of that hope that we can have, that hope that gives us the resolve to, to stay all in. Then there's the idea of the salvation of hope. 
And oftentimes when we think of salvation, we're limited with our scope. When we think of being born again, when we think of being saved, when we think about saying yes to Christ, we, we just kind of think about it in a one-dimension kind of a thing. And we're going to see that really we should look at it at least in three ways. But let's see what Peter has to say. He says, you have not seen Christ, but you still love him. You can't see him now, but you believe in him. You are filled with a wonderful and heavenly joy that cannot be explained. For you are receiving the end, of the, the end result of your faith and the salvation of your soul. And it's the idea that salvation, yes, is a past event in our lives, but it's a present event, and it's also a future event. A little definition for salvation. It's always, I always don't like doing this because there's, you can't just get it. You can't button it down exactly on these kinds of things. I read a couple things and put this together. But definition of salvation is being rescued and delivered from sin, its consequences, its power, and ultimately its very presence. That's the idea of past, present, future, which includes death and separation from God as a result by faith in the forgiveness that God offers through Christ's death and resurrection. So as we think about salvation and we try to unpack it a little bit more, there's this idea that it's a part of our past. It saves us from the penalty of sin, from sin's penalty. Sin's penalty is a separation from God for all eternity. We don't like to talk about that. We don't like to talk about it because it sounds pretty harsh. But the flip side of that, isn't it unbelievable that he wants to save any of us, that he wants to have a relationship with any of us? So sometimes we look at exclusion rather than the inclusion when it comes to this idea of sin actually separating us from God. Uh, we read, in God, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth. He gives that to us. So a lot of us, when we talk about being saved, if we use that kind of language, uh, some of us can actually tell the day and time where we got saved and we said yes to Christ. Some of us can tell the year. We look at it an event from the past. But it's so much more that we have the penalty, yes, but it continues to go on. There's the idea of the present, to be saved from sin's power. And I don't know about you, but this is kind of where I live. I'm trying to integrate salvation into my life. What does it mean to have said yes to Christ? How does that affect actually my behavior? Not just my nice thoughts, not just coming to church on Sunday, but how does that affect the way I live and function? Is it affecting the way I live and function? Over and over again, if we were to take time, we would see that we are free from the power of sin. Uh, we don't have to be its slave. We don't have to surrender to it. We don't have to do that. And it's a process in this part of life. So you must continue to live. Some versions say work out your salvation in a way that gives meaning to your salvation. Really, when I live it out, it gives meaning. If salvation is just something that I say, claim, I carry a little card in my wallet, not really gone that far with it. It actually shows up in the way I live. Do this with fear and respect for God. And that's a confusing statement, maybe. We should fear God. We should respect God. Absolutely. For someone like me who's grown up being aware of God, grown up going to a local church, um, I, see my, I see God as my father. I see God as my friend. But sometimes I forget that God is God, almighty God. We sang about that. And my familiarity with him makes me sloppy with my relationship with him. 
I like watching a little bit of the whole situation unfolding in Great Britain with kings and queens and princes and how all that works. But it's interesting. You're seeing when um, Prince Philip passed away, all of a sudden they gave you a whole new level of photographs. And you see, in a sense, the queen and the prince, uh, Philip being being um, like family with their kids, doing family things, because sometimes we just see them in their royal position. And those kids, they have different roles. Sometimes they're treating their mom as Queen Elizabeth. Other days they're treating her as mom, grandma, and see that balance. And sometimes you and I treat God more as just our friend, our father, um, uh, rather than God Almighty. There needs to be some respect uh, worked in there, some, some fear, some awe of who he is, and that uh, you know, there are some, in a sense, protocols because he's God Almighty. And he's not just my buddy. Uh, say it. It is God who is working in you, or yes, it is God working in you. He helps you want to do what pleases him and gives you the power to do it. That's referring to the Spirit. We sang about the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. The Spirit helps us to have desires to please him. And sometimes we we need to pray, Lord, help me just to want to follow you. Help me to want to do that. And then when he speaks to our hearts, we actually respond and do it, not just block him out. First uh, Corinthians eleven eighteen says, to us who are being saved, this is this idea of action. It's not complete. Uh, there's this fancy word called glorification. Uh, they do this thing called a dot ordination for pastors every once in a while, and you have to go, and they ask you all kinds of questions, and they ask me all kinds of questions about salvation, and they were trying to get me to mention and talk about glorification, and I just kept missing it, and they kept, I'm going, I don't know what you're talking about, and they kept, <laughs> it's this idea of glorification, when you and I will be complete in our relationship with Christ, when sin is purged from us, where we won't experience it, when it won't be around us. And that goes into the next one, future, saved from sin's presence. Everything in our lives is touched by sin. Every relationship, every transition, transaction, um, our world, what we see going on it. But the future hope is someday it will be gone. It just won't be over here. It will be eradicated. It will be folded up in a little trash can and thrown away completely. It will not be a part of reality. It will not be a part of our experience. And that is the part of salvation we long for when Christ comes back and sets things right. I almost uh, moved communion to this week because when we celebrate communion, we look to the future when he sets everything right. To live like this is all the more urgent. Time is running out, and you know it. It is a tragic, it is a strategic hour in human history. It is time for us to wake up, for our full salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The idea of that completion when we are with him, when everything is set right, including us. The day is coming when you will have it all, life healed and whole. And so we're just getting a glimpse of that, and we have that hope, and that's what drove Peter to continue to be all in. He had that hope. It's interesting, those without Christ who are happy don't know what's coming. And then the next statement to me is more powerful to me. Those with Christ who are not happy 
don't know what's coming. So there are those that have not experienced Christ, don't know Christ, they're without him, and they kind of go bobbing along with life, and it's, they're kind of happy or whatever, and then there are those of us who have said yes to him, and we're not happy. And usually that's because we haven't been captivated in the front of our mind of this future hope that we'll experience. We really don't know what's coming. Well, we kind of know what's coming, but we really don't live as if we know what's coming. Tying this together is this idea that when we are overwhelmed by our situation, we have likely lost sight of our past and of our future. Doesn't mean we're not aware of our situations. Doesn't mean we wrestle, don't wrestle with our situations. But when they overwhelm us, we've lost sight of our salvation and that someday when everything will be complete, and sin will be purged from us, will be with God throughout eternity. That things are going to get better. Things are going to be fantastic. We've been mainly staying in the NIV translation for 1 Peter 3 through 9, but I love the way Eugene Peterson uh, renders it, translates it, paraphrases it, whatever you want to say, but I love how he encapsulates the idea of the hope of the future, how you and I can be all in because of what is in our store for our future. What a God we have and how fortunate we are to have him, the father of our master Jesus. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we have been given a brand new life and have everything to live for, including a future in heaven. And the future starts now. God is keeping careful watch over us and the future the day is coming when you will have it all, life healed and whole. I know how great this makes you feel, even though you have to put up with every kind of aggravation in the meantime. Pure gold in the fire comes out of it proved pure. Genuine faith put through suffering comes out proven genuine. When Jesus wraps this all up, it's your faith, not your gold, that God will have on display as an evidence of his victory. You never saw him, yet you loved him. You still don't see him, yet you trust him. With laughter and singing, because you keep on believing, you'll get what you're looking for to forward to total salvation. I love the way he says that that our hope can carry the day, that our hope in what's coming changes everything, that life is going to be better, that it is, there's more beyond this chapter of life. I came across this um, story, and it's about uh, a pastor who needed to do a celebration of life for someone who is uh, getting, who is dying. And uh, personally, as a pastor, uh, that is a great honor to be asked to be a part of celebrating someone's life. Um, it's, it's an honor to be, as a pastor, be invited into some of the most difficult, uh, intimate situations and also some of the most joyous situations when you do a wedding and those kinds of things. But this pastor was asked to uh, meet with this woman who knew she was dying of cancer, and uh, this, is, this is how the story goes. A woman was diagnosed with terminal illness and given three months to live. She asked her pastor to come home to discuss her final wishes. 
She told him which songs she wanted sung at the funeral and what scriptures to read and which outfit she wanted to be buried in. Then she said one more thing. I want to be buried with a fork in my hand. The pastor was surprised. The woman explained, in all my years of growing up going to church, often we would have potluck dinners. I always remembered when the dishes of the main course were being cleared, someone would inevitably lean over and say, keep your fork. It was my favorite time because I knew something better was coming, like chocolate cake or deep dish apple pie or something wonderful. So I want people to see me in there in the casket with a fork in my hand and wonder, what's with the fork? Then I want you to tell them, keep your fork because the best is yet to come. At the funeral, when people asked him why she was holding a fork, the pastor told him of the conversation he had with a woman before she died. He said he could not stop thinking about the fork and knew they probably would not be able to stop thinking about it either. He was right. Keep your fork. The best is yet to come. So when you and I look at the life of Peter, when we look at the life of others, and we see the hope that seemed to be the fuel that drove their life, it's because they were keeping their fork no matter what the circumstances were because they knew the best was yet to come. You see, we need to understand the past and our future so we can live in the presence. Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your love for us. We thank you for uh, the joy you can bring to us. And Father, I ask if there's anyone here that has not said yes to you, have not welcomed you into their life, that even in this moment they would. And for those of us who have said yes to you, I just pray that you would help us to remember the best is yet to come. And even though we may be facing horrendous difficulties, that as we look to the future, we see the future, and the future eclipses what we're going through right now because we know what is to come is the best. So help us to process through that. Help us to keep our forks, we pray. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Now on your way out today, uh, there are forks. And so please don't stab each other with these forks, but there are forks out there. And there's a little sticker on there that says, keep your fork, the best is yet to come. And I would encourage you to put that somewhere where you see it. Uh, you know, put it on your refrigerator, leave it in your car, wherever you are, to remind yourself that you can have a hope that the best is yet to come. Uh, a couple other things, I uh, encourage you to use the little invite cards you have. Uh, you may have a friend that's not ready to actually come in for various reasons. You can at least steer them towards the, the website so they can watch online next week as we get into that. Um, also, uh, we want to continue to thank you for your generosity, the way you give to the church. Uh, the last month has been even more wonderful than normal. I almost get afraid of saying that because then people say, oh, I guess the church doesn't need my money. You know, but uh, it just enables us to do more things for other people, uh, function in our community. So we just uh, appreciate your uh, graciousness, your generosity, and your sacrificial giving. And just one more thing, um, the Moorlings are on their way to New York in early May. And uh, someone uh, sent me a personal message yesterday and said, you know what we ought to do is we ought to get a basket 
and put like gift cards and goody things. So when they arrive, there's this basket if they want to go to their favorite restaurant, if they want to do this and that. And I thought that was just a wonderful way to, to welcome them home from being in Papua New Guinea for the last couple of years. So if you get the pulse, You'll see all the details listed in that. Please take a look at that. If you don't get the Pulse, maybe you ought to sign up for it or just email the office, and they will give you the list of that because it would be great uh, to have a nice basket full of all those kinds of things. And uh, we're not going to take 10 weeks to do this. We can all do it in a week and a half. Um, just put it on your calendar, and we can just take care of this and give them a warm welcome home because we are so thankful that they're difference makers on our behalf. So. Again, uh, enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Thanks for being here, and don't forget your fork.